Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. We're taking the week off, folks, so we hope you'll enjoy a rerun of this heartwarming Ohio Christmas mystery. We've got no Ohio musical artists lined up and no armchair detective waiting in the wings. Just a request from you to have some Christmas music queued up. So what's up? Steve, you know, it's just a couple of days away from Christmas. So we're going to set aside the more serious topics we often explore for something a little more seasonal. Here's the deal. For half a century, the nation unquestioningly credited Worcester, Ohio as being the birthplace of America's first Christmas tree. And every December, newspapers from Los Angeles to New York would recount the heartwarming tale of immigrant August Imgard and the steps that the homesick teenager took to replicate the traditions of his beloved Bavaria. It's a delightful tale, all true, by the way. And if someone would have rhymed his story, it would have ranked right up there with Twas the Night Before Christmas. So, since this is a story on our podcast, by definition, there's got to be mystery in it somewhere. Oh, yes. You see, in 1946, that's 99 years after August Imgard shocked and delighted his neighbors with his unusual decoration, a professor in Worcester would be challenged to prove or disprove Worcester's claim to having the first tree. And he would go straight to the New York Times to launch a national manhunt for the answer. Wow, someone was taking this seriously. Indeed. Of course, all the early Christmas tree advocates were long dead, but cities, they went bragging rights, you know? Okay, well, if battle is coming, I'm taking the side of Worcester. Go Worcester! So where does this begin? (laughs) Well, let me start by telling you August Imgard's story. Much of it is told by Imgard to a reporter from the Worcester Republican in 1899. He was 71 years old at the time, a humble tailor who was about to become a legend. So, you know that Christmas music I asked you to get us? Let's cue that up. We need to set the mood here. All right, how's that? Ah, that's perfect. Okay. It's 1847, a cold December day and August Imgard is hopelessly homesick. 
He wasn't yet 20, and just a few months removed from the ship that carried him to America from his hometown of Wetzlar, Prussia, in present-day Germany. He was living with his brother, Frederick, and his nephews and nieces in Worcester, Ohio, a pioneer settlement that was a far cry from the Bavarian mountains that he loved. And his first American Christmas was promising to be a dreary affair. Historically, Christmas was very slow in coming to America. The Puritans had a strong aversion to it. They didn't like it to be observed at all. Definitely like some kind of festival. It said they even invented Thanksgiving as a substitute holiday because people were starting to weaken. It's not that Christmas wasn't being observed by 1847. It was, but it was a solemn thing. Nothing like the cheerful, colorful holiday in his homeland. So August set out to change that. He decided to make his first Christmas in Ohio something memorable, something that would delight his brother's children something no one in Worcester had ever seen before. So he put on his coat and slipped out of the house, a destination in mind. He set off down Apple Creek Road, aiming for a stand of evergreens he'd seen across the stream. But the creek was swollen, too deep and too cold to wade through. So he kept walking until he spotted a tree that had strategically fallen across the water. He scurried across the trunk, found a spruce about as tall as himself, and chopped it down. Now he had a bit of a problem. He couldn't balance himself enough to walk across the fallen tree. So after giving it some thought, he fastened the tree to his back using a strap across his neck. Then he lowered himself to his hands and knees and inch by inch, he crawled across the creek to the road. He was quite a sight walking back into town. Other residents he passed couldn't help but pause at the sight. Why would someone cut down a perfectly good spruce? It was too green to burn. It was too small for carpentry. What in the world did he plan to do with it? The citizens of Worcester would find out soon enough. Once back home, Emgard erected the tree in his brother's living room amid the delightful squeals of his nieces and nephews. He cut out paper decorations and created a long paper chain to drape over the boughs of the fir. He visited a smithy in town and had a shiny star fashioned out of a piece of tin. He baked kuchen into small cookies using a recipe sent from Bavaria by his mother and hung them like ornaments. He draped hook-shaped candy canes over the branches. Then he filled the hollows of empty nutshells with tiny greetings. The next day, curious neighbors visited the Emgard home to see the curiosity. Can you imagine someone putting an entire tree up in their house? As the word spread, strangers from miles around came for a look. The following year, Imgard learned that the owner of a local notions and cigar store was headed to Baltimore on a business trip. August asked if he would scour the city looking for things that might serve as Christmas tree ornaments. The store owner obliged, bringing back a wheelbarrow full of trinkets. But now, August had to share them. His town had caught Christmas tree fever. In his second year, 
It is estimated at least 50 other homeowners in Worcester adorned their own living rooms with a fur from the nearby woods. And the year after that, trees started popping up in neighboring cities, the neighboring counties, and the tradition traveled like ripples in a pond. Okay, you can cut the music. Now, August Imgard became a tailor, got married, and raised a family. And his trees became more and more elaborate. He started putting his tree on a revolving platform, and as the tree turned slowly, a hidden music box played a Christmas melody. He also became a bona fide hero. In 1874, he was among some 40 men and women from Worcester going to Odell's Lake for an excursion. Once there, seven guests got into a boat and were pushed from shore. They were just 30 feet from shore when the overloaded boat tipped its human cargo into the water. The water was 18 feet deep. And, you know, people being weighted down by heavy clothes, and and if they weren't swimmers, that was a very dangerous situation. And two women went under. I mean, they went completely under. And a newspaper story recounted how Imgard and a man named George Faber swam out to rescue them. Imgard reached under the water and found some hair, and when he pulled it up, there was a woman attached to it. And he called her to shore and saved her life. Well, in 1899, the local newspaper in Worcester had heard about Imgard's first Christmas tree, and they asked him to share his story for a feature. And after that, newspapers couldn't get enough. Some version of his story made the rounds all over the country, sometimes just a paragraph or two, sometimes a full feature story. Every year for 50 years, always with a headline announcing it was the tale of America's first Christmas tree. Huh. I had no idea. I know. Well, and Worcester embraced its role. They even sold stamps that read, Home of the First Christmas Tree. And in 1938, Cleveland even hosted a celebration of Imgard by inviting three generations of his family, including his now elderly daughter Gertrude and her daughter and granddaughter, to light a Christmas tree at Shaker Square. I wonder how this disappeared from local history. I mean, you would think that growing up in this area, I'd have heard this before. If you had been living probably prior to the 1950s, you probably heard the story. But there's a reason it's going to kind of fade away. Okay. I'll get to that. Okay. But as a side, i got to tell you another fun little Christmas tree story that kind of attached itself to the telling here. Along with Imgard's tale, Ohio started being credited with the first Christmas tree put up in a church. Now, the year was 1851. This was more than a decade after Imgard's tree in Worcester. And the Reverend Henry C. Schwann, a German Lutheran minister in Cleveland, decided to erect a Christmas tree at his Zion church, decorating it with tinsel, candles, apples, and candies. Like Imgard, he was missing the traditions of his homeland. But holy cow, what a different reception this tree got. I told you about the Puritans. Apparently, a little bit of that spirit remained in in America. The more mild opponents of this idea simply laughed and called the tree absurd. Others called it sacrilegious, promised it would bring down the wrath of God, accused the congregation of idol worship. A tree. This tree. Members of the church who owned businesses 
started being boycotted. Really? And two church members said their employers threatened to fire them if they had learned they had anything to do with that tree. (laughs) What a visceral reaction they had to this thing. Well, what would you do if you were the minister of that church? Um, I mean, I don't want to... I don't upset anybody, but I mean, it's my church, so. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was his church. Oh, he kept it up. As a matter of fact, he put another one up the next year and another one the year after that, and he just kept doing it till people accepted it. In any case, by the 1940s, stories around the country that were crediting MGARD with the first tree were almost always referring to the Cleveland case as the first tree in a church. And then in 1946, something happened. And this is the beginning of why you probably haven't heard this story. Okay. Someone decided they had enough of Ohio's legendary Christmas tree stories. So encouraged by the American German Review, a Worcester resident by the name of William Schreiber, who happened to be an assistant professor of German at the College of Worcester, started looking into his town's claim to fame. And he wanted America to look with him. So on December 11, 1946, he wrote to the New York Times asking people to examine old family documents and letters for any evidence of Christmas trees in their past, saying the country was young enough for this kind of evidence to still exist. And he was right. By the time his search was done, August Imgard's Worcester Spectacular had been demoted to about the fifth oldest documented Christmas tree. The crown was handed over to Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, for not only the first Christmas tree in a home, but also the first tree at a church. Oh, man. (laughs) Took away both of ours. Killed us both, yeah. So, although notably, the second oldest tree discovered by Schreiber did come back to the Buckeye State. It was a family in Cincinnati by the last name of Krausnick, and they had a family letter describing how they'd put a tree up in 1835. So we're in second and fifth place. Okay. Okay. So anyway, Worcester took the news in stride, but it did not stop them from celebrating. The very next year, it was the 100th anniversary of Imgard's tree, so they started a new tradition. They decorated a tree at the door to Imgard's mausoleum at Worcester Cemetery, and they have done it every December since. It's been direct decorated by civic groups, by students, sometimes by the cemetery staff, all with the same result, the remarkable sight of a glowing Christmas tree in the middle of a cemetery. Nice. So, but if Worcester lost its claim to having the first American Christmas tree... All that research seemed to have granted it another first. It appears August Imgard was the first person in America to hang candy canes as ornaments. And this is a distinction that was noted by the National Confectioners Association. So that makes it official. Yeah, that's official That's to me. official. And you know who hasn't taken it away from us? Philadelphia? Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah. Philadelphia. Yeah. They yeah. weren't the first. Yeah, take your, take your cheesesteaks and go. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we, we, got, we got the candy canes. Right. And I, I should point out just one final note. 
There seems to be no doubt that August Imgard brought Christmas as we know it to Wayne County and the surrounding area. Even a Worcester librarian who helped me research this said there were no mentions of Christmas in local newspapers before 1847. But within a couple years of Imgard displaying his tree, newspaper ads started saying things like Santa Claus is coming Ah. and prepare for the holidays. All right. So he helped commercialize uh, Christmas there. Oh, he did. Well, as someone who loves Christmas, thank you, August, for helping elevate the holiday to a cheerful tradition. And that's it for this week. We're going to take the next week off to enjoy the holidays with our families. And we'll be back here on the first Sunday in January for a brand new Ohio mystery. Have a very merry and blessed Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.